spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Send Podcast, we have the return of Kevin Johnson. And Kevin was actually last on the podcast about one year ago, which was episode 17. And that episode is still one of my favorite conversations that we've had on the podcast. And in that podcast, we dived deep into the world and the power of using the practice of flotation tanks. But just for the listeners who don't know Kevin, Kevin is the founder and the CEO of the Zero Gravity Institute in Austin, Texas, which is an amazing state-of-the-art floating center and probably is one of the best in the world. And Kevin has really done a lot of the inner work. And I may get this wrong, this number wrong, but he's definitely carried out more than 300 float tank practices now, which is absolutely amazing. And these aren't just float tank sessions where you go in the tank for an hour or so. These are long-ass floating sessions, and some of these are even overnight floats as well. And if you have floated, you will know that even after just doing one hours or two hours of float tank sessions, how much you can tap into and how much you can tap in your own consciousness. And I even know that even just after doing just an hour float, how much your body just dissolves and how much inward you can go. So now I was actually thinking, just imagine now, doing five or six or seven hours of floating and what that can do for you and that is what Kevin's doing but since we last spoke to Kevin he's also now been studying the shamanic path as well under the guidance of a shaman and he's been participating in one to three ceremonies per month for the last 18 months he's been learning the igaros which are the secret songs he's been assisting the shamans and ceremonies and he's even also started a program as well for using the flotation tanks as a tool for preparation and integration before and after ceremonies, which is really interesting, which we also, which Kevin also talked about on the podcast. And Kevin really is an amazing and humble and real guy. And he also said something to us as well off the podcast as well, which I thought really sums him up. And he said that even after 20 ceremonies of working with plant medicines, I still have more questions than answers. And in my opinion, that is a true statement in someone who's on a real path. And in this podcast, Kevin said and talked about something very interesting. He told us a story about how he was doing a float tank session and the spirit of Mother Ayahuasca was actually inside the float tank, which is very interesting talking point and makes me ask so many questions. And something that we definitely delved into. So anyway, just before we jump in with this one, I just wanted to say thank you so much to all our current Patreon members who do support the podcast and who have become Patreon members. We really do appreciate you guys helping us take this podcast to the next level and believing in the message that we are trying to spread. And last Sunday, just gone, we just carried out our first Ascend Hangout, which was an absolute blast, and we had an amazing, fun conversation. There was four of us in that Hangout, and we talked about dreams, simulation theory, and so much more, and we had so much fun. And one of our Patreon members, Ellen, actually gave us a great idea. She said it might be good to talk about certain topics in each Hangout, which made us think of so many different ideas. So what we are thinking from now on 
doing in the Ascend Hangout is choosing a specific topic for the Hangout. So example would be dreams. And then that would also give you guys time to think about any areas or topics that you would like to bring up in the, in the Hangout around the topic of dreams. So say we did choose to talk about dreams in the Hangout, we would also bring in, maybe could, the possibility could be to bring in a, an expert on dreams, just like Robert Wagner, who we've had on the podcast. Then you guys could also ask him questions, which would be so cool. So we're looking at doing that in the future. So if you guys do want to become a Patreon member and join in on the online monthly hangouts and support the podcast, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon ascend and check out all the different ward tiers. And just see which one suits you and maybe support, maybe support the podcast. And we even have a $2 reward tier, which can even which still gives you access to free bonus content from the podcast. And as you guys know, we've never bombarded you guys or ne- and never will advertise to you products, products that just don't serve you as a human being on this planet. So if you do think this is a conscious idea, we'd absolutely love it if you could help us grow this podcast by supporting us via our Patreon page. And it would be also so cool as well if you could leave a review of the podcast on the platform that you do listen to the podcast and help us rise above all these shows out there that are more concerned about the cars and jewels than their own consciousness. So anyway, let's jump with this one. Kevin Johnson, enjoy. Like I said before, since we last spoke as well, um, obviously a lot of lot has changed in our journeys, and it's obviously incredible how much in one year you sort of your whole universe, which operate can completely change. And I don't think many people do really realize that. And um, since we last spoke, um, it's been amazing, sort of looking back. Um, obviously, on our journeys and stuff like that, and also I know as well, obviously you as well, your journey would have changed as well, and how far how much your universe can change, and how much you can obviously sort of evolve as a human being. It's very interesting, and. Um, and I hope, like I said before as well, um, when the obviously podcast got cut off, I mean, I hope you don't mind us saying this again, but when you did it, when we did reach out to you to get you back on the podcast and things like that, um, obviously you sent us a very sort of deep message and things like that, telling us about how you were going through a very interesting transitional uh, period in your mind and things like that, where you sort of began to feel that you didn't have any sort of thing, to co- anything to contribute to the conversation in the podcast. And um, when you reached out to us and said that, we we really respected that, and um, and oh, we respect, you. respected your feeling, honestly, that you were showing us because it's because it's like I said before, it's beautiful to me because it highlighted to me that, like I said before, no matter who you are, the the human mind is a, a very funny thing, and in the the, ca- the mind can play tricks on you, and in one sense it can be your best friend, in another sense it can't. But like I said before, it's the ability to sort of mentally override that, and and for me anyway, when I like obviously me and Chris, we both go through situations like that in our minds. But it's about, and obviously it's probably the same for you now. But it's actually appreciating the battle that you had to undergo in your mind to get to the point where you are now. That's what I feel anyway. Yeah, you know, it's it was a um, it's a strange process that we go through. But when when we start doing, you know, some of the deep transformative work that we do with things like meditation or the flotation tanks or plant medicines, things like that, you know, um, it does, if, if we're doing the work correctly, we, we do start to realize that we all do have something to contribute to the conversation. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we have, you know, big credentials like, you know, uh, you know, a degree or, you know, having authored books or things like that, you know, that we, we do each as individuals have something to contribute. And, 
And really, you know, Chris and Dan, I, I'm so inspired by you guys. When I think back to the early days of your um, podcast when it was um, Beastified yeah. and just like where, where you guys were at that point and then having listened to you now for um, a couple of years and like what you guys have done in the last year, you know, I, I, I began to get really curious about what it was that caused – that caused the two of you to, to want to change the direction of your podcast and have some of these more, um, in depth and, um, contemplative conversations that, that you get into, you know, um, I'm curious, like what, what, what changed for you guys? What, what spurred that? It just, um, it just became a, a revealing of who we truly are, Kevin. And we, mm-hmm. we, me and Dan all, we met in sports and we studied sports, me and Dan, together for about 10 years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we just we kept evolving, me and Dan, at the same time. And we just kept experiencing, like, these different parts of, like, of the um, world and the universe that we've just been asking ourselves. And we just, and we wanted to get this onto the podcast because this is truly who we are. We're not just yeah. healthy yeah. versions of Chris and Dan. We... We're like we are the bigger questions. That's who we truly are. Yeah, and, and for me as well, Kevin as well, which is very interesting, is on starting my journey as well. I was very healthy oriented, which obviously we know that health leads to sort of expanding your mind and asking bigger questions and things like that. People who obviously are on the journey of figuring out and tapping into the into the human body and things like that, like doing yoga and movement and exercise, whatever it may be, it is it does unlock something in your mind to sort of to expand your mind and expand the neurons in your mind, sort of say. And um, it's just for me as well. I was I was at a stage where um, maybe a year ago where I was sort of transitioning, just coming from the health period, and I I felt maybe I felt I was in a position where. I mean, I was in a position where I was still, I still didn't really know, like I didn't know thyself, sort of thing. So I was yeah. I was quite, I was quite scared to touch on. I wouldn't say the word scared, but I maybe I just hesitant hesitant to touch on these bigger topics because I know that in the past of like all the social conditioning of especially the part of the world that we live in as well and not to be horrible but it's just blatantly true the part of the world that we live in as well is a lot of people are very judgmental on it's a very working class part of the world and a lot of people are yeah. very judgmental on on the sense of if if you're starting asking questions out of the box people will <sighs> people will like single you out and and there's a lot of pressure when you're like when you're a young teenager coming through that to try and to try and break out of that norm and try and seek and ask them bigger questions about the universe and I know Chris is exactly the same as well and it's still a battle that we deal with now but me and Chris know ourselves now so we don't care that's that's where it is now yeah it's cool the way that you guys um uh influence each other and work off of each other it's it's been a very cool uh transition to to uh, listen to you guys come through that process mm-hmm. you 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 speak now with authority and you know you're obviously well informed and uh it's it's just um you know for me personally i i've been pretty inspired by the journey that you guys are on and i i just want to tell you guys how much i appreciate that because you you've opened my mind a lot you've wow. really helped me to think about things in a a deeper way and and look, look for answers and and you guys have provided a lot of good information and answers for me too so i i just want to thank you guys for the uh the help that you've been in my personal progression as well i i get a lot 
out of your conversation so thank you for that wow i love that that's really powerful by the way that really said that that's beautiful by the way and it's kevin as well before as well i know when you were um when you were when you were talking about i was talking about that sticking point that you went through sort of in your mind and things like that um i know when you when you did reach out with us and stuff like that you were talking about how you you mentioned the word how how to overcome that situation you were talking about use the word spirit and you said about how spirit actually works in mysterious ways and i know as well um you can call it spirit you can call it the universe or higher self whatever you want to call it but mm-hmm. could you actually could you actually like expand on that what you meant by sort of how the how spirit works in mysterious ways and what you meant by that sense how that truth came through to you um yes thanks so um I've been uh, since I last spoke with you guys. You know, I've I've been uh, nurturing my floating practice, of course, because you know, since I do own the float center and and um, build float tanks, I have you know unlimited access to those things. So that that has played an important role just in keeping me on track and keeping me focused on it on a practice. And then um, I've also started drinking ayahuasca on a regular basis. And really the realization that, that you're referring to came to me um, during my work with ayahuasca. Uh, a lot of times that medicine can show us um, through visions and the kind of experiences that we have in ceremony, it can, it can show us the uh, solution to our problems. And so as I was going through this period of, of self-doubt and um, not really understanding what kind of role that I could play in our in our bigger community in terms of what information that I had or what special knowledge that I might be able to share with people. And during one particular uh, ayahuasca ceremony, the medicine kind of spoke to me about the fact that we all as individuals have something to contribute to our community. And we, we, we each are on a unique path. And because it's unique, it, it um, provides us with uh, personal perspective and information that we can share that other people can benefit from. Because everybody's at a different point along their growth path. And so just because maybe I don't feel like my information is as impactful or as profound as somebody like, say, Dennis McKenna might offer, I still have information and experiences that I can share with pe- people that will help them. Yeah, I love that by and, the way as well. I think that's beautiful by the way, um, because I think when everyone does get, everyone can get to that point in the mind. It's just about, like I said, it's about cultivating it. Like me and Chris went through that same thing. You went through that through that same thing, but it's just about when you when you do get to that point and you realise that you do, everyone does have their own life story. That's when I think sort of all these different sort of beautiful and different facets like can actually come from your imagination and, and, and spark something, spark more crea- uh, creativity in your mind to actually sort of. Put your put your imprint on the world. That's what I like to say. It anyway. Yeah, yeah, I agree a hundred percent with that. And I, I mean, the, you know, the challenge now is that because of all the um, interesting podcasts that are available um, in this genre specifically, I mean, w- there's a lot of in-depth conversations now about consciousness and um, uh, transfer personal transformation and personal growth, like. You know, it's it's a conversation that happens a lot now, and so the more it happens, the more challenging it is to uh, be able to provide new ideas and new insights and new information that will, you know, interest people and help people. Yeah, 
yeah, we understand that. Uh, we understand there's always a, um, like a void to be filled in a way, in a sense. But there's always information there to be ready to be received by someone who's just who's just ready to listen. And out there, there's someone right now who's ready to listen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's 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 interesting because uh, you know I'm a guest on a lot of podcasts and I do a lot of. Um, talks at conferences and, and gatherings and things. So sometimes it feels to me like I'm repeating myself, but uh, it's important for me to be aware that, you know, not everybody is listening all the time. So, so just because I've had a conversation once doesn't mean that I can't have that conversation again, or that there's not something valuable in that conversation that I can share with other people. Yeah. It's very interesting, so, Kevin. Yeah. Because I, I think as well that, um, like you said before as well you can sound like you're repeating yourself but i think as well that that your words can reach someone at a different period in their time so like like i said to you before as well when i was listening back to the podcast that we did uh, in nearly a year ago now episode i think it was 17 on the podcast and uh, i listened back to that a couple of weeks ago and even when i was listening back to that now i resonate now more on the path, the journey and the path that I'm at now than I did even then, even though we did an interview with you at the time, which I think is really yeah. fascinating because it shows to me like how the human mind actually develops and how the human mind can actually pick out things that you wouldn't have seen maybe a year ago in your life. That's It's weird how the universe works like that. Yeah, yeah. But I was going to say, just say that, I was just going to say, I think it's not just like the universe, I just think it's growth yeah. on behalf of us, all of us, because I think, the more we're actually participating in these conversations we are because me and Dan were free to even like talk during a conversation like straight away I remember our first guest Owen Lacroix we actually put our hands on each other's chest to stop each other from talking just so <laughs> that we could let him speak and we were afraid to actually jump in and ask a question nearly but we've like you yeah. said we've grown but it just all depends on the journey you're at I mean there's like I said there's always somebody who's there ready to listen but are they actually at that point where they can actually take in that information and really elevate it to their use? And I think that after after not just one podcast, after 88 podcasts, like where we're at now, me and Dan, we're finding more and more lessons and we're actually just experiencing more. Like you said, when Dan actually goes back, he hears more of the um, journey. He hears more yeah. of like the answers that people seek. And I think that's a really interesting point is actually going back and like revisiting areas in your life where you even where you think you've mastered it I mean like Kevin they, a lot of people might actually talk to you about floor tanks and and they might believe that you've mastered it but you could go back to the very start first lesson of even just entering the floor tank and you could find another lesson in, in doing that oh yeah you know absolutely I, I don't think I don't know that you could ever master something like floating <laughs> I think you can master the techniques that you use to um, working in your practice to, to go deeper and have these deeper experiences in the float tank. But um, after so many years of doing it, I feel like I, I learned something new about it um, on a pretty regular basis. Maybe not, not every float, but uh, certainly new stuff happens all the time. New experiences happen. And um, so I, I would hesitate to ever claim that I had mastered it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Kevin, I know as well before as well, and you, were, you slightly touched on, you said you, you've been now doing ayahuasca and things like that, which I think is really fascinating to see your sort of transition, how you sort of, you were in doing float tanks and then now you're sort of um, trying to um, sort of practice um, ayahuasca and things like that. And I know as well, I remember you said it was last time as well, and the message that you, you've been participating in, I think you said one or three cer- ceremonies per month now, I think you were saying for the last 18 months, something like that anyway. Yeah. But, but you were yeah. talking about how you've been sort of studying the... Um, the path and the guidance through a shaman as well which I thought was very fascinating and you were talking about how I think you said you were learning the eager roses and things like that as well and you were actually yes. assisting the shamans in the ceremony as well how, how was that experience being so I would love you to delve a bit into that oh it's been an incredible experience you know um, it's just one more way that we create space in our life for spirit to work through us um, I was, you know, really fortunate to uh, start drinking ayahuasca with a, a maestro uh, named uh, Zach Poitra, is his name, and um, I, uh, my wife and I started um, participating in ceremonies on, on a monthly basis. So, uh, like you said, one to three, one to four ceremonies per month, and. Um, we decided to take the challenge they had offered to start teaching us about um, more about ayahuasca, more about the the practice, more about the the ceremony that's around it. And my wife and I both come from a musical background, so we gravitated toward the Icaros in a pretty strong way. And as we um, studied the Icaros and learned, learned to sing these sacred songs, uh, it started to have more and more impact on our experience within the ceremony. And so now we've been given the opportunity to sit next to the shamans um, behind the mesa, behind the altar during ceremony, and help them to sing these songs, help them to um, help people that are participating if they, if they need some kind of assistance, uh, if we can help them through a particularly um, uh, hard moment during ceremony, uh, there's a couple of shamanic techniques that we can do to to help calm people down if if they're um, having a hard time, or you know, if we just even something as simple as just helping them get up and get to the restroom or something during ceremony, it's just one more opportunity that we have to serve the community that we're working in. Yeah, I, I love that by the way as well. And Kevin, when you are in sort of um... I know I think you've said this. How many ayahuasca ceremonies have you done now, did you say? Uh, I think I'm getting close to 30. Wow. There's a lot, that. There's a very lot. And, and when, um, <laughs> when, when, you, um, when, you, when you are in your ayahuasca ceremony, I would love to ask, ask your uh, thoughts on this. I mean, because obviously a lot of people talk about how... Um, it's people talk about when they have an ayahuasca ceremony because me and Chris haven't done it ourselves, but obviously we, we know like a lot of knowledge on it because we've sort of not in the sense of doing the ayahuasca ceremony, but oh, sort of just guests. listening, listening to guests and things like that. And mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about when they are in the ayahuasca ceremony, the, the language that is trans transisted over to your mind is is something completely different. It's not like a, a form of communication that we're having now. It's something more than that. But how do you actually sort of how how do you sort of decode the language that is sort of that is sort of transcended through the visions. Like, how do you sort of, in, how do you use your mind to sort of interpret what is actually being told in the sort of in the real life now? It, or not in a yeah. real, not real life's not the right word, but into the sort of into this into this reality sort of thing. Right. Like, how do we integrate those experiences yeah. into our everyday life? Yeah. Is is um a, that's a challenge, and it's something that um, in our community we spend a lot of time 
on that particular subject. For me personally, and, and I think it's different for everyone that, that works with the medicine, uh, for me personally, the, the visions that are happening during ceremony come with a teaching. It's, it's, it's almost like it's not uh, two separate things. It's not, it's not a vision and language that goes along with it. It's a vision that's carrying a message. It's actually by experiencing the vision, you're also experiencing the teaching. And it's really incredible and very profound how precise the teaching can be in terms of just addressing some aspect of your life, some challenge that you're facing, some problem that you're trying to solve or, or uh, some blockage that you're trying to get through. Somehow that medicine has the ability to show you through vision exactly what you need to know. So the vision and the teaching kind of come as one unit. And then it just takes time to sit with that and, and try to integrate that in, and use it in our everyday life. And, and to be honest with you, those experiences have changed my life. Things are very different now than they were, you know, two years ago when I started uh, drinking ayahuasca. So, Wow, Kevin, that's fascinating. Um, Kevin, do you ever, like, question the vision, like, on its message to you? Um, I, guess, I guess I would say yes. <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it might be foolish just to accept everything that's coming um, you know, one, one thing that we become aware of through um, ex- more and more experiences in ceremony is to differentiate between what is um, our mind creating uh, dramas and stress and anxiety and, um, you know, the you learn to differentiate between what we're creating in our minds versus what the medicine is delivering to us in terms of teaching. Yeah, I was just going to say then, Jim, and it's, cause it's like, because um, I've had a lot, quite a few experiences with lucid dreaming and things like that, and it seems to be that like I've been a lot more now. I mean, I've probably had about five or six very strong lucid dreams now, and I'm starting to play with it more and more. But in them, even in lucid dreaming, in them realms of lucid dreaming, I can imagine it's probably quite similar to ayahuasca. I'm just making an assumption I don't really know. But mm-hmm. I just relate it to what you said, and it seems to me that the the subconscious mind actually affects the affects the affects the the lucid dream or affects the ayahuasca ceremony but as mm-hmm. well i think as well there's also a battle between another world that we we don't and another world that we know is there but we can't fully that we we can't control so there's a battle of the world of your subconscious mind where it's affecting the dream or the ayahuasca ceremony but then there's also this fixed thing fixed reality that's also that them t- so what i'm trying to say is basically the subconscious mind and the world of the reality that's not really not really that we don't have control of them two worlds are coming together that's who we are is that does that resonate yeah yeah so i um what that feels like to me is like in in a ceremony we are uh we're kind of in the spirit world yeah yeah it's it's not ordinary reality it's a it's a it's a wildly different state of consciousness than we find ourselves in in normal life mm-hmm. and um when we're exposed to such a starkly different reality like that you know our ego tries to take over our ego tries to control what's going on tries to make sense of what's going on and and you know then the mind can start to play games with us in that and and cause us to 
to doubt what we're doing and you know question what it is that we're doing. I mean, I, I have to say here that my first ten or or so uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, I, I could do nothing other than just lay on the ground, face down, holding on for dear life, <laughs> and I swore every time that this would be the last time, at least once in every ceremony, I would say, I'm never doing this again. I'm not made for this. I'm not tough enough to, yeah. to go through this ordeal. But somehow by the end of that ceremony, you know, things will have changed, gotten better. Um, and, and I was, you know, by the end of each of those ceremonies, I was ready to do it again and just uh, to go back and learn more and communicate with the spirits of those plants yeah. in that way. It's, uh, it's, deeply moving it's hard for me to put into words sometimes um what benefits we get from yeah. doing that work well, kevin would you say that because i just thought something in my mind would you say that because this is experience for me it seems to be when i when i do like a float tank or or have a lucid dream and things like that i'm not really i'm not really obviously an expert on psychedelics or anything like that but for me when i'm say when i'm in a, like use an example of a float tank when i'm in a float tank it feels to me that you actually I like to say it as you sort of you you meet your real self. That's what I like to say it as, <clears throat> and mm -hmm. you, you sort of and then you, when you're in that position, like and you if you like for you you might resonate with this in the ayahuasca ceremony as well, but definitely in the float tank, if you sort of you actually realise that you you're not your meat suit. That's what I like to say, and it sort yeah. of it, it strips away your name and it sort of strips away. I like to say it, it strips away all your makeup. That's what I like. Do you does that resonate with you? Yeah, I mean it, it does. You know. Human beings are these complex hybrids. You know, we're we're not just one thing. We're a we're a combination of of spirit, mind, and body. And I think what we find when we do all this work is that we the 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 soul is trying to use the mind and the body as a way to express its true agenda out to the world. And, and it's the ego that, that keeps that from happening, right? So when we do this transformative work, whether it's in our meditation practice, in our flotation practice, or our practice with plant medicines, it's a stripping away of the ego and really getting in touch with, with our deeper self, our, our soul, our spirit, and, and, and recognizing our soul's agenda and figuring out how we communicate that agenda to the world. The, the, the trick here is to let the mind and the body be a tool of the spirit, not the other way around, not, not where the, 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 the body and the mind and the ego dominate everything. I love that, by the way, as well. And just a question that caught my mind there as well, Kevin. Do you actually think when you're in that position as well, where it's a float tank ayahuasca or whatever it is, um, do you actually think that when when sort of um, when the sort of the the body in a sense is sort of shut down and you realise that you you're not your body and you you sort of the consciousness in that realm, do you think that's maybe it's sort of just sort of tuning into something that maybe is just sort of out of our reach in this reality? Well, I mean. That's probably the best part of the flotation tank. The fact that we're taking so much of the workload off of the brain and the central nervous system and, and it, it allows us to slip into a different state of consciousness, a non-ordinary reality where we are more in touch with our true nature and our soul as opposed to just our egos and our bodies and our minds. Yeah. You know, so I, I think I think these practices 
our they're our best opportunity to to be in touch with source and be in touch with spirit and and our higher selves and and really give ourselves a chance to listen and understand more about what our what our uh, true nature is and what our higher self is trying to communicate. Yeah, I love that by the way as well. And um, as well before, just in regards to ayahuasca as well. Um, mm-hmm. I know as well um, when we were last communicating and stuff like that. You said you said something in the message that really sort of um, stood out to me as well. And I want to touch on with you because you said um, it was along the lines of you said something like after even twenty ceremonies, something like that. Anyway, you said after twenty ceremonies. You was talking about how you said you still had more questions and answers, and um, yeah. and me, me and Chris absolutely loved that by the yeah. way because I think that is honestly that that is the true path, and the more in my life that it's it's very it just resonates with me that that statement as well, and it seems so true to me because it seems the more knowledge that you do sort of attain on the on your journey, the more questions you do find as well. But do you do you think that does that still hold true for your for your whole journey? And if so, why do you think that is actually the case? Um. It does still hold true, and I, I hope it never stops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I like the part where I come away with more questions than answers, and it's it's really interesting as we're being exposed to the um, more details of the ayahuasca tradition in terms of um, the ikaros, like the importance of these songs and how how the ikaros affect what's happening in the ceremony and how the ikaros are used to call in the spirits of other plants. Um, you know, we're, we're learning new things all the time. And that, that's what's driving the questions is every time we seek an answer to a question, we get more information and it's the more information that's stimulating the new questions where uh, we do beyond uh, just the ceremony, the, the actual drinking of ayahuasca, there's a lot of other shamanic work that happens uh, outside of ceremony. We, we do um, what's called a shamanic dieta. Are you familiar with this idea? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, but you can, you can still go in if you want, Kevin, just for anyone who doesn't know. Sure. So, so we, um, there's one kind of diet that we observe when we're preparing our bodies to go into ayahuasca ceremony. So for a week or two before ceremony, we'll, we'll limit our diet to um, essentially white foods, like we'll eat chicken or fish, rice, plantains, very, very simple food with no spices or um, uh, you know, just very bland food that prepares our body for the, for the purge of ayahuasca. Uh, there's another kind of dieta called a shamanic dieta, and this is where we take parts of a plant, uh, like for instance, we might take the bark of a tree or leaves or roots, just depending on what the plant is, and for five days, we will um, do a type of fast. We'll eat a little bit of food in the morning, and then we'll just um, meditate and work during the day uh, work on ikaros or just studying with the shamans to, to get more insight and information about the practice that we're doing. And then at sundown, we'll do a ceremony where we, we drink a tea that's made from whatever plant we're dieting with. So, uh, for instance, uh, on Monday, we'll start a, um, an oak diet. So we'll take the bark of an oak tree and we'll prepare um, – We'll prepare uh, tea with it, and and we'll drink that tea every night for a week during ceremony. And then we'll end the the dieta at the end of the week by taking salt, 
And then the next day we'll go into uh, three days of ayahuasca ceremony. So we'll combine these two practices of, of the dieta and then straight into the ayahuasca ceremony. This dieta will allow us to make uh, a deeper connection with the spirit of the plant we're dieting. So the spirit of the oak tree will be something that we have greater access to. And then using a particular kind of ikaros, we can call that spirit into our ayahuasca ceremony to help ayahuasca do specific kinds of healing. And uh, the oak tree will become um, an amendment to the, to the ayahuasca as a medicine. The Ikaros are incredible. The Ikaros are very powerful. They're songs that have been honed over eons to elicit certain responses and to call for the cooperation of these other plant spirits that we work with. It's a beautiful tradition that we're that we're studying now. Yeah, it certainly isn't. Um, I'm, the more you more you do it, the more and more you're gonna actually find. And and I I wanted to just get back. I remember when you were saying like um, that even after twenty ceremonies, you still have more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. And now, what sort of questions are you even asking yourself right now in your life? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a question that stays constant in this practice, and and it's it's a simple question. It's why are we doing this? <laughs> nice, nice, simple one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and um, and when I ask. My shaman, that question, he, he will usually just tell me we're learning to relax. And, and oh, that yeah. sounds very simple, but it's really true. When, when we work with ayahuasca, what we find out is that when we um, push back against the experiences, if we fight the visions – if we engage with the physical anxiety and physical stress, that's what causes our suffering. Uh, and, and that's, you know, in ceremony, but also outside of ceremony. It's one of the lessons that we, that we learn with ayahuasca and that we can easily integrate into our lives. That like engaging in our stress, engaging in our anxiety, physically bearing down on the things that bother us cause us suffering it affects our health it affects our attitude it affects our ability to to communicate uh, with the people that we love and create the proper space around us and in our community wow i love i love that by the way as well there when you've seen about that about the shaman saying that it was beautiful by the way and um i was thinking before as well um, when i see chris asked you the question about um asking questions and things like that it seems to me as well on my journey as well obviously i'm someone who always is constantly i'm always searching all the time and constantly asking questions i know obviously you and chris are the same as well but mm-hmm. i would i would love to ask you this i mean me and chris have tried to play off this and stuff like that as well and a few podcasts and things like that but i would love to ask you the question what do you actually think would happen because you're somebody who's done obviously a lot of you you have done a lot of float tank experiences and i know you don't mm-hmm. like to call yourself a master but you're definitely up there and um, <laughs> and um, you obviously now you're sort of playing in the field of ayahuasca and things like that but what what did you what would you actually think would happen if we actually did sort of find out there i mean it's probably not the right word but maybe the absolute truth i mean see if ayahuasca actually gives you sort of the god equation <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you think would happen <laughs> <laughs> we might all have our minds permanently blown yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it, i mean it, it does give us 
those kind of answers. It just does it incrementally, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked before about how in a flotation tank, uh, we have to learn to appreciate the subtle advances the and the, the 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 subtle realizations that that come from that kind of a practice with ayahuasca it's more intense it's like you know it's like getting hit upside the head with a board yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we have the opportunity before we go into ceremony to set our intention and ask questions of ayahuasca that we want to have answered or ask for guidance about how we should conduct ourselves in, in our uh, normal life and everyday reality. And um, if we enter it with the proper attitude and, and open ourselves to receiving that information, it's amazing what kind of answers we can actually receive, what kind of teachings we can receive and the knowledge that we take away from it. So uh, it's an interesting question that you pose. That's that's a big <laughs> what if, like what yeah, yeah. if we were delivered the ultimate truth, yeah, yeah. you know, and um, and maybe the short answer to that is that the ultimate truth is probably different for each of us. Oh, I, love, I love that. Yeah. Right. That, that ultimate truth is going to get superimposed over our personal experience. Wow. I think that is fascinating, man. I definitely do. Um, Kevin, uh, um, you touched on like your floor tanks there, and I know you've done a, a vast number of floor tank experiences compared to the mm-hmm. ayahuasca experiences. You've um, when you touched on your floor tank experiences there, you started to say like it, the floor tanks give you more of a slow approach to it, more of like an mm-hmm. inviting thing, whereas ayahuasca is just like wow, here you go on the ride. <laughs> but um, right. I was just thinking this: out the two of them, from your ayahuasca and your floor tank experiences. Which one has given you more answers? Uh, so I've been floating now for about 30 years. So I, I have thousands and thousands of hours in the float tank. Um, I would, it's hard for me to say, though, which has given me more answers. Believe it or not, I think a couple of years of drinking ayahuasca has caused more changes in my life, uh, in my outlook, in um, just making me a better person to be around. <laughs> I think it's important to like recognize that all of this this work that we do, this deep transformative work that we do, it's also about making life better for the people around us, for the people that we love. I, I see that now. Um, I don't know that one has given me more answers or understanding than the other. I think they each offer a different kind of understanding, a different kind of knowledge, and different realizations that help us lead better lives. Well, I, lo- I love that, by the way, as well. And um, before, as well, you touched on before, Kevin, you were talking about how since you have introduced sort of ayahuasca in your life now, it has sort of made a uh, made a lot of changes in your life and things like that and I know as well when you were last on the podcast as well we talked about this when you were talking about how when you were in the float tank and this is very deep and it um, it was an amazing conversation as well so if anyone wants to go back and listen to that they've got to um, episode 17 <laughs> but anyway you were talking about how you were meeting an um, entity I remember you were a uh, female entity in the um, in the float tank mm-hmm. that's what you said but f- mm-hmm. from that from that time I mean that what that must have been a big sort of a big sort of reality shift when you were sort of meeting an entity in the tank because I thought it was really fascinating that um, but I was wondering, 
since you have now introduced ayahuasca in your life more and stuff like that, and you've you have had a lot more experience with float tank experiences, I mm-hmm. think now it's probably I'm not too sure. I'm just making assumptions, but it's maybe a lot harder for something to come along and sort of shift your reality now because like big experiences like that where you meet an entity, the entity in the tank is a big thing, and it would at the time it would shift your perspective. But even just in the last year since we last talked, has there been any experiences that have actually sort of stretched your mind and stretched your view on reality and made you rethink? rethink your reality in your life even uh yeah <laughs> that's a great one so yeah um so over time um in the flotation tank i've sort of mapped out the route to get to the place where i am in contact with that entity wow that that intelligence so it's now um relatively easy for me um, in that I have this proven route to get to that space. I've sort of mapped it out, like how to get there. And um, so I have that experience in the tank more and more often. Um, I've been using the flotation tank on either side of my ayahuasca journeys. So if I'm about to go into a three or four day retreat to drink ayahuasca, uh, you know, I'm, I will like do a float, I'll float for a couple of hours on like Thursday afternoon or Friday morning. And then I'll go into ayahuasca ceremony on Friday. I'll drink ayahuasca Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then on Monday, when I leave retreat, then I'll go back to the float tank and I'll, I'll do what I call an integration float. So I'm doing a preparation float before ceremonies, retreats, and then I'll do an integration float afterwards to help me to process the experiences that I've just been having during the ceremony. And the first time I did that, it was very interesting because with ayahuasca, you're experiencing uh, connection to those spirits or entities or intelligences that come from the spirit world that's happening on a fairly consistent and regular basis during ayahuasca ceremony. When I first got into the float tank immediately after my, uh, ayahuasca journey, the, the spirit of ayahuasca actually came into the tank with me and wow. for lack of a better way to talk about it, she was very jealous of what I was doing. There was a big question. She was she came into the tank and she's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm still in there working. And I sort of had to justify that to Aya and say, you know, no, this is my regular practice. This is what I do. And it helps me a lot. And I want to use both practices in conjunction with each other to to um, prepare and integrate, learn, and, you know, retain knowledge. And um, uh, she was okay with it. And then after a couple hours of floating, she kind of gave me a message that like, okay, this is a good thing and we're going to keep doing this. And so now we've offered that to all of the people who join us in our uh, retreat weekends. We offer the opportunity to come to our float center and do a preparation float and then do an integration float afterwards. So we're trying to we're trying to push the two things together. The shamans are using the float tanks on a regular basis now, and they've given them their seal of approval. They're giving them a thumbs up in terms of uh, using the two together. 
Wow, Kevin, that was a really fascinating story there, by the way, and I've got to jump on that when you were talking about how um, Mother Ayahuasca was actually in the tank and you were talking about how it was in a way it was actually getting jealous and things like that. It's really <laughs> fascinating to me because that really rang bells in my mind there because, um, I mean, this is this is going obviously deep down the rabbit hole, but Dennis McKenna, when we had him on a podcast, he, he and obviously in a lot of his work, he talks about how, um, and we obviously uh, Stephen uh, Bullner as well, who we had in the podcast as well, who did the book Plant Intelligence, he talks about how... He talked, that was a great conversation. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> but they talk about how um, ayahuasca, ayahuasca as well, might have its own sort of um, agenda as well. So mm-hmm. when when you were sort sort of not you were sort of not turning your back, but just using another practice as well, it is very interesting to me because it seems to me that ayahuasca, being an intelligent entity, might actually understood that it might have been losing a sort of a customer who's going to spread its seeds across across uh-huh. another planet. That's what I was thinking there in my mind. It's really <laughs> it's deep that, but I was actually thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I've heard um, I've heard shamans teach about how you know we avoid other plant medicines um, when we're close to ayahuasca. When we're when we're either preparing for a ceremony or after ceremony, you know, we'll we'll avoid um, any other psychedelics or cannabis or alcohol. Um, we, we even, we even eliminate, uh, sexual contact from our environment before and after ceremony. You know, we're, we're careful not to alter our consciousness when the medicine is working on us. If that, if I, if I was articulate about that. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I yeah. That, it does make, it really does make sense as well. And just to go back as well before, cause I didn't want to skim over this point, but when you were, um, I, I wrote a little note down because, um, when you were talking about, um, you were saying about uh, this, how the, the there was like sort of you were mentioning, like I mentioned before about that entity, that female ent- entity that you were meeting in the tank and things like that. <clears throat> and obviously, a lot of people talk about how there is these spiritual entities that are in these are in these different realms and things like that in the spiritual world. It's very, um, it's very interesting to me because I was actually thinking in the in that actual in that spiritual world or dimension or whatever whatever you want to call it. Do you mm-hmm. think that them beings or entities are actually, and especially what you were just saying about Mother Ayahuasca as well, coming at the tank and being jealous, do you think them entities are actually sort of trying to maybe steer our knowing and, knowing and steer, steer our consciousness into certain directions? So uh, I think with uh, working with plant medicines, um, with Ayahuasca, but, but also all the other plants, you know, when we work with just tree spirits and plant spirits and animal spirits, and I think these things exist on uh, in the same dimension that we're in. I don't really think there's much separation between us and our normal life, everyday life, and and the realm of these plant spirits. I think when we drink ayahuasca, what we're really doing is engage. You know, plants communicate with each other chemically you're, you're familiar with the idea that like when a if a tree gets infested with a, a pest and let's say an insect is attacking a tree that tree will send out a chemical message to all the other trees around it yeah. to, to say to them like change the chemical structure of your sap so that this bug doesn't attack you because they're stable and they uh, they're they're rooted to the ground, they can't move around. They don't have a verbal language. They communicate chemically. When we when we drink plant medicine like ayahuasca or we uh, use other plant medicines, we're we're engaging chemically. So we're like opening a line of communication 
in their own language. And so that's what's allowing us to uh, make that connection and, and have that communication with the plant world. Yeah, I love that, Kevin. Kevin, do you, so do you think do you think that actually the ayahuasca is just actually um, sort of a, a bridge a bridge to this sort of bridge a bridge to this information that is all around us and it is accessible, but it's just out of our reach? Do you think actually that's what maybe ayahuasca is doing is just sort of is the bridge between the the bridge is is the bridge between the communication sort of say? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it, it's uh, opening up a chemical line of communication you know not not unlike what we're doing right now with technology like we're talking to each other from halfway across the globe and and um you know before we had that technology we weren't able to do this ayahuasca is just that technology it's just um we're agreeing we we literally take that into our body and it opens a line of communication with the spirits of those plants with the with the chakruna and with the with the ayahuasca yeah, I like I love that, and it's, it's very interesting because it's very fascinating when you said that because it resonated. If they hope this hope this makes sense, but it just resonated in my mind when you said that when you were talking about sort of um, tu- tuning in, sort of see it's very interesting because if you think about um, our bodies now, like we like you said now we're communicating across sort of vast distances, but we're that, mm-hmm. that ability ability to do that and mean us to communicate now is sort of because we are tuning in with a frequency, like we're on the same we're yes. communicating on the same frequency. But it seems to me that maybe there is all there's also these all these other frequencies around us that we just don't know how to sort of just like a TV. If like you start changing the channels, you tune to different channels, and maybe as right. well that's what ayahuasca is doing is just tuning to different channels. Yeah, and it's sort of like in, in my mind, it's uh, ayahuasca is like the master key mm-hmm. to tuning into the the world of plant spirits, because I've seen now on many occasions just by using the songs the ikaros we can call in the spirit of a plant to do a specific job and so we're not necessarily um, drinking medicine made from the plant that we're calling we're we're using ayahuasca to create the open the line of communication and then we're using the ikaro to call the specific spirit of a specific plant to fulfill a specific purpose and these songs have been honed over thousands of years to to uh, have that efficacy to really make that happen. It's it's fascinating when you when you learn these songs. Uh, it, it's fascinating how you have tools at your disposal that you didn't have before. Yeah. And that's really what a shaman is, right? Somebody who has a bag of tools. They're like a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician. They don't claim to have any personal power that's allowing them to do that they just have the tools and the knowledge to um to do a certain job and the 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 ikaros are one of those tools that we use yeah i love that by the way as well because if you think about if you really think about it though ayahuasca and the ikaros itself are sort of they are scientific tools as well because um it was i think there was an author called um i'm not sure if you familiar i think he wrote the i can't remember what his book's called but he's called simon g powell but he actually talks about how um like ayahuasca and the igoroses and things like that are actually scientific tools and we don't actually perceive them as like a scientific tool but they really are yeah yeah they're very they're very specific in terms of like their rhythm the 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 melody the language that we're using the the technique of that ikaro to elicit that specific response 
So it, it, it's definitely a technology. Yeah, it's definitely. definitely a tool. Yeah, definitely. And I'll give you a bit of ex, uh, um, an example as well. And I was telling Chris about this just before the podcast as well. And he, I didn't, I didn't realize. I never told Chris about this. But um, I, I had it. I've never took ayahuasca, and, um, and Chris hasn't either. But what mm-hmm. happened was, is um, I had a, I had probably, uh, I think it was like maybe t- nearly two days solid, where I was constantly just consuming loads of um, podcasts around the topic of ayahuasca and things like that. Because you know when you just have them days where you go down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and you pick mm-hmm. a sick. What I like to do is I like to pick a certain topic and just digest that topic and digest maybe in two days digest try and digest everything that that topic can give you sort of thing and expand your mind and um, mm. I had a day where I was doing a lot of sort of yoga and um, meditation probably I was doing it for about maybe three or four hours a day it was uh, quite intense and um, I was listening to loads of eager roses in the background like loads of ayahuasca music and um, yeah I went to bed anyway and um, for some reason I woke up the next morning and I actually had a purge the next morning and I, there was, yeah. it was re- honestly it was really weird and I've um, I've never spoke about this on the podcast yet but um, I would I want to actually ask you what you actually think it is as well If you, I don't know if you, I know you're not a doctor but um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I would just love to see what you thought what I actually think it is because I was actually having a purge and I wasn't even I wasn't even um, there was no like vomit or anything no sick coming up at all and mm-hmm. I was actually just having a purge and then I also was receiving sort of um like messages either from your subconscious mind from your higher self or whatever it was and it was t- it actually sent as a message in my mind saying don't eat pork mm. that's what it said don't eat pork so I was like I'm listening to that I'm, there's no way I'm not listening to that yeah. so from that day I've never e- ate pork ever again yeah yeah for the most part we eliminate pork from our diet anywhere close to uh, uh, ceremony or especially when we do the the shamanic dietas where we're dieting a tree or a plant like uh-huh. we um, eliminate pork from our diet for like six months after a dieta yeah so that's a really interesting thing that uh that you receive that message yeah, um here's my feeling about what you're saying though uh and the first thing is that um around ayahuasca we look at purging as not getting sick but getting well, yeah, 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 right. Like we're getting rid of the negativity and the sickness and the disease that might be in our body through that purge. Yeah, that's better put. That's much better put. <laughs> One of the great things about ayahuasca, uh, and I've noticed this definitely. I have a lot of people around me who are uh, very interested in ayahuasca, but because of the particular terms of their life, um, they're not really able to participate in ceremony and actually drink the medicine. They might have uh, kids that they have to take care of and don't have the time to commit to the practice or maybe they have a job that isn't going to allow them to do that or maybe it's just fear or who knows, many reasons why people won't actually drink the medicine. For those of us that do drink the medicine, one of the, one of the great joys of the practice is that we can share our experiences with other people and those people can benefit from that medicine without taking it themselves. And I think that's what you experienced. You listen to a lot of people relating their experiences with ayahuasca and you 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 got benefit from the medicine even though you didn't take it yourself. I think that medicine works in that way. 
Yeah, it is. It is really weird how it works in that way. And by the way, beautifully put across. Yeah, by the way, there yeah. as well. And I was actually, I've actually probably been waiting. Uh, subconsciously, I've been waiting for an answer like that about that question. So it's probably that's why I haven't brought him on the podcast because obviously, my subconscious knew that you were going to give us that information. <laughs> it's weird. It's really weird. It's really weird how it works, honestly. But um, yeah, when yeah. I was having them visions, honestly, it was really weird. It was um, well, it wasn't weird, but it was it was actually it was quite beautiful, really. Like you said, when you look back, it is beautiful. It's like you don't call it sick. You call it like a healing, don't you? It's, so it's beautiful, yeah. but. When I was looking back at that, I was getting visions in my mind, and it was actually so it was it showed it was shown as visions in my mind, which was really fascinating, and it was shown as visions of like when I was eating the pork, it was actually shown is in my mind what the pork was actually doing to me, the bacteria and yeah. the gut gut of my body, which I thought was I thought was really fascinating, and I'm I'm not somebody who's actually experienced many psychedelics or nothing like that, so I'm definitely not not a not a master by any any long shot or experienced mm. in it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool the way it works, you know, and especially if you were listening to a lot of Icaros during that couple of days that you're talking about, you know, the Icaros are strong, we can do a lot of work, you know, when I'm, when I'm home or, you know, out, and I'm practicing my Icaros, it, it definitely alters my consciousness. I feel the influence of those plants, I feel the influence of those songs. And um, I, I consider them to be very, very powerful. Yeah, you, I was just going to say as well. Do you, do you think as well? Because it's come in my mind there as well. Do you actually think it? Because it come to my mind there. Do you think it could be actually that uh, maybe, in a sense, do you know how like the placebo effect works? How the placebo effect can cure cancer and cure the mind and things like that. Yes, mm-hmm. I know like on a chemical on a chemical level. Yes, ayahuasca is doing something to our body. But I was actually just thinking in my head there, maybe, maybe as well, like how how just going through my experience, how the rose did affect us, like sort of without actually taking the medicine. But could it actually be that maybe in the in the future, maybe maybe as well in the future that the medicine the medicine itself might actually just might. I'm not saying it's going to, but it's just I'm just trying to like transcend what I'm trying to think in my mind. The medicine might mm-hmm. actually could disappear, and it actually could just be more of the sense of. We, we're tapping into the thing that we we know already we can already, always access wherever we are on the planet at any time if that makes sense I, I think it's quite possible I mean I, I feel like even with the limited experiences that I have with it I can still sort of access that ayahuasca consciousness yeah right it's uh, it's sort of like what um, you know in the Carlos Castaneda books what Don Juan was teaching Castaneda about you know, you only have to experience these plant medicines a couple of times, and then you should know how to get there. Yeah, I love that. Without yeah. taking it. Yeah. Do you, Kevin, do you think that's what um, what ayahuasca is trying to like do to us all? Is trying to like stop us from just using itself and just in order to access all this like spiritual context and healing? Well, I that's a big one. I don't know if I really know the answer to that. I think I think that um, the spirit of that plant appreciates the, um, the ritual and the ceremony that we, that we do around it. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that that entity is so willing to share knowledge with us through, through the visions and the teaching, um, is because we do make that commitment to physically consuming that medicine. It it takes preparation and it and it's an ordeal to go through. It's not it's not easy, you know. For those people that haven't experienced ayahuasca, it, it, it's an it's a physical ordeal. It's an emotional and mental and spiritual ordeal that you're going through. It's a rite of passage in a way. 
it's very uh, it's a very enlightening experience from what I've, from what me and Dan have um, heard from all the guests and I think it's I think it's the more we actually look into it the more like seems like ayahuasca itself it has its own like it's its own plan its own like version of events which it's foreseen in a way and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of ayahuasca itself is going through its own ayahuasca experience of seeing all these amazing visions yeah. <laughs> and um, this is what I was just thinking there I was just thinking is is this what it's actually saying is it witnessing humanity itself realising all the changes that it needs to make mm. yeah you know I, I think it has an agenda but also uh, so let me relate a little something that I did some research about this. Um, you know, ayahuasca is just now in the past like 10 years or so making its presence known around the world. Before that, it was just in the jungle. And I started to do some research about this. And what I found out from talking to a few different people and reading some articles and, um, I found out that, uh, during the 80s when um, the rainforest was under assault by um, logging, mining, industrial agriculture, things that were really decimating the forest and threatening the survival of the indigenous people, the shamans and the leaders of those communities got together to try to figure out what they were going to do about it. And what they decided was that they weren't powerful enough to take on these big entities Uh, these business entities and corporations and governments that were imposing themselves on them. And they decided that the best thing that they could do would be to heal, try to heal the world with their medicine. And so that's when they made a conscious decision to take in people from around the world who were interested in this medicine and interested in, in spreading the word and, and facilitating people in ceremony. They took these people in from all over the world and trained them to use this sacred medicine. And then in the past years, 10 years or so, they've sent those people back home. They've said, go home and give this medicine to your people and start to heal the planet with our medicine. And it's amazing. It's staggering how fast it's spreading around the world now. Now now it's ubiquitous. You can find it everywhere. Wow, I love that by the way as well. And I just wanted to ask you a question as well, Kevin, because obviously you've you obviously part you've obviously interacted with quite a few shamans as well. And mm-hmm. when you said you were obviously um, doing a research as well, was it? And I was wondering, was there any sort of research in the area of actually the shamans actually saying that that the ayahuasca itself when they were in, when they were carrying out the med- taking taking the medicine, were they actually talking about how the medicine was actually sort of telling them to? Because you never, I don't think you said that there. You said that that you just said that they would. Um, the shamans themselves were telling people, but did the shamans actually receive that information from the plant? I think they did. I, it, it seems to me like like all the study that I've been doing about it, it the plants are the conveyors of knowledge. Yeah. When you ask the shamans, like how, how did they figure out that they needed to mix, combine these two plants to elicit this effect? Yeah. They say the plants told us to do that. Right. And and that's true of, um, you know, we're working with a few different kinds of jungle medicine. And um, and I, I often question that, like, how did anyone figure out how to do this? Right. Like re- recently we've been doing a medicine called combo, which is um, it's uh, venom from a frog. 
And the way that it's administered is the shamans put a, a series of, of burns on your skin. They'll do like seven or nine or 11 little points where they burn your skin. And then they put the frog medicine in the burn. <laughs> and uh, it causes a purge and a, a very unique state of consciousness comes along with it. And that was my question to to the combo shaman was like, who figured this out? Who was who was the first guy that burned himself and put this frog venom in the in the burn? Because that sounds crazy, <laughs> right? And they say, the jungle told us, the plants told us, the animals told us. It's hard for us as Westerners to appreciate how how deeply intertwined and integrated those cultures are with nature. To them, it's it's an everyday occurrence that a nature spirit communicates with them some type of knowledge. Well, for them, it's it's every day. It's mundane. It, it's nothing special. For us, it seems like another planet. It's just a it's completely different world that we don't understand. But to them, it's commonplace. Yeah, I like that by the way as well. Nate. It's very interesting because when you were saying about how you were talking about how they were seeing that, um, seeing that the plants told us and things like that, it just seems to me that there is there is so much intelligence going on around us that we just we just don't we don't fully we don't fully understand what it is. And um, it's very interesting to me because um, the, everything is screaming screaming to me as well. And obviously that there is just in a screaming. I know it's going to be screaming at people as well who listen to this podcast as well. There's more than. There's more than meets the, meets the eye with this reality. That's what I think it is as well. There's there's so much going on around us that we don't fully understand, and this is a sort of a spin-off question from that as well. I mean, if that is the case, and I mean, I know that you believe it. There is more going on to the re- going on to this reality that we can't see, and I know Chris believes that as well, and I believe it as well. But why do you actually think we only actually see a sliver of what we really know is really there? You know, I think it has to do with the. Um We've had a lot of conversations about um, where consciousness comes from, like non-local consciousness. And, and, and this is uh, that our brain is a filtering device. So we're filtering out things that aren't immediately important to our survival. And I think that's where this conversation leads us. It's like we have access to a lot more information than what we're consciously aware of. And when we put ourselves in, in these special conditions, like in the flotation tank or with a plant medicine or a particular shamanic ceremony, uh, a sweat lodge, uh, rhythmic drumming, meditation, these are all different forms of taking down the filtering mechanism and allowing more of what's going on around us to to get into us to experience more of what's going on. Cool. I love that, by the way. Do you, Kevin? That's a question as well. I mean, do you actually think that maybe that filter mechanism that is in place? I mean, do you actually think that is sort of could actually be? And, and I don't know if this is the right word, but maybe it could be actually protecting, protecting mm-hmm. us, protecting us, sort of say. I, I I totally think it is right. I mean, the the ego. Uh, is is what is protecting us and, and helping us survive. It's what keeps us from stepping into traffic or, yeah. you know, doing doing something that might be dangerous to our survival. So I think the filtering mechanisms are are good. I think they're positive, but I also think it's important that we develop and nurture certain practices in our lives that uh, allow us to every once in a while turn down the filter 
and and create a um, an access point for spirit to work in us and to communicate with us and to have an effect on our life so that we don't just become a tool of the ego. Yeah, I like that as well. So Kevin, here's, here's a question I would love to ask you as well. I mean, you've done a, we've talked a lot about here for ayahuasca and float tanks and things like that. But obviously we know that you've done a lot of um, mm-hmm. float tanks and ayahuasca ceremonies. And obviously these we know, obviously we know that these, ex, these, um, these practices do allow you to sort of explore your own consciousness. But I was actually wondering, just mm-hmm. to sort of bring this to an end as well, I mean, what, what's your sort of, what what understanding are you sort of at now in terms of your unconsciousness? And I would look, I would actually really be interested to see how actually since we last spoke, compared to now, actually how much your how how much you actually feel your own sort of consciousness has actually shifted. Hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm progressing. Hmm. Um, I feel like I'm more in tune to spirit to what spirit wants me to do, to what spirit wants me to be, um, more in tune to the effect that I can have on the people around me, the people in my community. Um, I don't think that I'm, you know, better than anyone else. I think I'm just becoming more and more open to whatever spirit has to teach me. And I take that very seriously, and I and I try to integrate it into my everyday life. And and believe me, I, I, I I'm not that successful at it. I fail all the time. I screw up all the time. I get angry with people. I lose focus. You know. But there's lessons in all of that. And I'm not I'm not too hard on myself about it. I know that I'm on a path. I know that I work hard. I know that it's you know daily practice for me. And um, and I'm thankful to Spirit for showing me that there is a path for me to be on, and there is a better way to live, and and it is more peaceful, and it does have a profound and beautiful effect on on my immediate community and and the larger community that's open to these kind of discussions. And I've just been blessed with the opportunities to explore that deeper each time I go in, to whether it's a float or whether it's a ayahuasca ceremony or a sweat lodge or any of the things that we work on any of the medicines that we use yeah kevin and uh we'd like to thank the spirit as well for for getting you you on our podcast as well so mm. <laughs> it's certainly getting you back into the right frame of mind where we love to see you and fe- hear you and <laughs> we can definitely feel your energy and vibration it's completely powerful brother and we're so grateful. thank you yeah, thank honestly. you. I I love you guys so much. I, I I love your podcast and the conversations that you have, and you know, opportunity to talk to you guys helps me focus. It helps me think these things through, and and um, you know, when we articulate our thoughts and we teach other people, we learn a lot. We we grow ourselves. So, thank you so much for the opportunity to to talk to you guys and to your audience. I I just. I feel really blessed and I really appreciate both of you so much. Thanks so much for listening. And if you are ever in the area of Austin, Texas, please check out and visit the Zero Gravity Institute that Kevin owns. It's probably one of the best floating centers in the world. Definitely is. And as you know, this podcast is 100% funded by you guys. So thank you so much. And if you do want to become a Patreon member and support the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could just spare two minutes and check out the different award tiers that we've set up. And you can check out more information 
for this at our Patreon page if you go to www.patreon/ascend. And it would be also cool if you could leave a review of the podcast on the platform that you do listen to this thing on and help us rise above all these other shows out there that are more concerned about their cars and jewels than their own consciousness. <laughs> so anyway, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you next week where we have another amazing episode as always. And just to play this podcast out, and as a little added bonus, I'm going to play a song called First Skin, which is actually a song from Kevin and his wife's band called Big Circle TX. We also played this song at the end of the first podcast we had when we had Kevin on one year ago, but some of you may not have heard it, and it's a beautiful song sung by some beautiful human beings, and I know you'll enjoy this song. So anyway, keep seeking everyone. Peace.